trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Man, I, I got to tell you, I am ready to charge right in this hour. I, I'm going to take you to some dangerous places. I'm, I'm saying that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but uh, at the same time, this is fair warning. Uh, welcome to the show. If you're just checking it out for the first time, glad you could come. I'm going to do my best not to scare you off in the next 10 minutes, but I have some pretty heavy stuff to talk about. And I'm thinking, well, I guess we'll see. Stout-hearted people <laughs> are going to be needed in order to uh, confront some of the ideas here. So, two quick things, and, and these are the most hot-button issues I'm going to hit today. I have some really great stuff, some very uh, productive, informative stuff to share with you. But there are a couple things that have come to my attention that uh, I'm just, I feel as if I need to say something. And here's the thing. The first one is about uh, the first person sentenced in the uh, U.S. Capitol riot. That would be Peter Allard, Allard Hodgkins. He just got eight months in prison. You know what this guy did? I mean, I'll tell you this. I mean, he was convicted of trespassing, entering this, you know, there, there were some pretty cool made up crimes. But the, the thing he did, what really landed him in hot waters, he put on a Trump T-shirt, carried a Trump flag. He followed other protesters into the Senate chambers and he took a selfie. Okay, he broke nothing, he threatened no one, he punched nobody, he, he damaged nothing. <clears throat> and the guy's going to prison for eight months. I mean, if he had just dressed up like an Antifa member, if he had been, you know, you know if he had gone completely in black block, he probably wouldn't have been charged in the first place. Or at least that's the, that's the double standard that I am seeing emerge over the last, you know, year, year or so, I, especially the last year. Now, we can we can argue, like, should he have been there in the first place? Probably not. I don't know about you, but to me, common sense says, hey, if there's a riot shaping up, I have somewhere else to be. Because mobs, once that mob mentality sets in, are incredibly unpredictable. I don't want to find myself at the mercy of a mob. But I wouldn't want to find myself at the mercy of a mob that dresses in nice suits and, you know, black robes and nonetheless would treat a guy like this as if he had done something, you know, that requires him to be separated from society for eight months. This, to me, would be a trespassing ticket, a fine, maybe at worst. Oh, but it's what it represents, Brian. That's the thing we can't allow. Ah, yes. Someone expressing doubt in the official truth that they're being told to, that they must consider and nothing else. But the fact he took a selfie actually led to an enhancement in his sentencing. I mean, look, uh, okay, I'm trying, I'm trying hard not to, to stir up fear or anger. I may nudge your paranoia a little bit with what I'm saying here, but... Can you not see how this could be used against 
people who are simply standing up for their rights, not doing anything violent, not doing anything to attack anybody or destroy property, but simply asserting their autonomy. I mean, this is... Most people aren't going to believe it, I, I think, until they are living it. When they're like, dang, this feels like tyranny. That's when it's going to hit them. My gosh, why didn't somebody say something about this? And by the way, I'm far from the only voice out there that's speaking out on these kind of things. But you want to know what tyranny looks like? That's an example of it. Even if you don't agree with the guy for being there at the Capitol in the first place, look at the double standard that's at, at play here. Tell me that doesn't shake your doubt just a little bit in a system that gets 97% convictions, not because it's just that good, but because they offer plea deals and they, they overcharge and they, they can ruin your life through a practice called lawfare. Just charging you with a crime will definitely jack you up one side and down the other. And if you're not convicted, well, you're still out time. I mean, come on. Ammon Bundy, his dad and his brother sat in prison for almost two years. None of them convicted of a crime. Not one. Okay. I'm off that soapbox for a minute. Now, this one's even more tedious, and this one's going to probably make more people uncomfortable. So, apparently, uh, there was a Turning Point USA meeting, a uh, convention over the weekend. This is young people, very freedom-minded, conservative young people. Um, Anybody who's anybody, you know, in the freedom movement and young was there. But a porn star who happens to be conservative showed up at this meeting. She was subsequently asked to leave. And um, there there are a lot of different ways this can go. Now, the fact that I just mentioned porn star has a lot of people going, "Whoa, whoa, this just went off into the weeds. But I think there's something that we have to consider about where we are right now as a society. And again, my, my goal is not to make you feel guilty or mad or fearful. But the fact that this is even an issue says a lot about where we are culturally. Now, I'm not saying this is apples for apples. Yeah, this is exactly what happened in Germany back, you know, during the 1930s, 1920s, actually prior to the Nazis coming into power. We're talking a very advanced, first world society. Germany was on the cutting edge of a lot of stuff in the 20s. But they were also a very, um, they were a very permissive society. And I don't mean that in the sense that, you know, government pretty much stayed out of your business. I mean, like uh, promiscuity, pleasure seeking was uh, not only tolerated, it was encouraged. They knocked themselves out. And there are a couple things that, uh, that this represents a danger in. Number one, um, if, if you look at the work of J.D. Unwin, a British anthropologist, published a work back in 1935 or 36 called Sex and Civilization. This guy studied 85 Different civilizations. I'm talking from all different sizes, from the Sumerians down to little South Pacific Island civilizations. And without studying this to try to figure out to, to what, what is right and what is wrong, okay, he wasn't using necessarily a right and wrong moral compass. He was just simply looking at what happened in these societies 
when the pursuit of pleasure became more important than other priorities in life. And what happened at the same time when they practiced self-control? You know, insisted on things like marriage, insisted on things like uh, if you sire a child, you have to raise that child. That's, that is your responsibility. Here's the thing. In every single society, big or small, ancient to fairly modern, in every society, when, when sex essentially became their god, that was what they wanted, that was where they put their energy, those civilizations, without exception, declined. Now, maybe they didn't go away totally. Some did, but, uh, but that, that was the, the apex. At that point, they were no longer going to be going up. They were only going down as their creative energies were channeled away from things like, like learning and, and building and discovering and, you know, exploring. I mean, it's, look, I think it's wonderful that this uh, adult performer holds conservative views. And apparently she writes a lot of articles or some articles for uh, uh, federal, federal, what is it? National Review. Is that it? Anyway, she writes for, you know, a well-recognized conservative publication. People who aren't familiar with what she does would probably not know. They could read something she wrote and go, that's really insightful. That's very good. But a convention, yes, I, here's the thing. I don't think we need to make people feel bad. I don't think we need an American version of the Taliban out there, you know, enforcing right and wrong. But if we want to be free, I'm serious. Like, if we want authentic liberty, we have to know the difference between right and wrong individually. That's what makes it possible to have less government, more autonomy. And when people blur that line to where, well, you know, right and wrong is really just kind of your own construct. Well, they lose the ability to govern themselves. They lose their ability to handle freedom. That's where we are. That's okay. This is the bummer part. This is like making you eat your broccoli before we move on to, you know, the better portions of the meal here. But we're losing it on that uh, on that basis. And without attacking, you know, the, the adult performer herself. Look, pornography is an education system. It takes one of the strongest human drives and directs it purely towards this detached kind of pleasure. And if people start making that their top priority, yeah. I mean, it's, it makes more money than baseball. That should tell you something about the priority that people place on it. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Hey, quick shout out to my sponsors. They include the Heather Turner team at uh, Patriot Home Mortgage, HSLAmmo.com, Pure-Light.com, MonticelloCollege.org, and of course, LifesavingFood.com. Please visit them. They are listed on the show notes page. Links to each of them. Knock yourself out. Okay, I'm going to take one further step. This is, I'm, I'm sorry, I won't spend the whole hour on, you know, the issue of, uh, oh, this uh, porn star showed up to Turning Point USA and was turned away. And it's, it's sparking a fair amount of discussion on, you know, in certain circles. You know, we need everybody that we, that we can get 
you know, to help the cause of freedom. And by the way, I do agree. You do need everybody that you can get. But you also have to be careful that uh, you're not uh, you're not pushing down on the gas pedal with one foot also pushing hard on the brakes, so to speak, because um, sometimes I think that that can that can actually hurt your message. If, in fact, if your message is just politics, this actually is is really a, a sadly good fit. Politics lives for this kind of stuff. You know, it's it's titillating. It's it's uh, scandalous. You know, people are going to oh, they're going to pay attention to this. But I'm less concerned about, uh, you know, what's politically expedient and I'm more concerned about, hey, are, are we going to fix this? Are we going to correct course and maintain our freedoms or, or do we just kiss him goodbye? I want to take this into a little bit different realm, hopefully a more comfortable realm. OK, because, you know, you mentioned, OK, so we're, we're talking pornography and you know does this appear to be some kind of endorsement of pornography on the part of the conservative right? If it's, you know, feasible, they've got somebody who's got notoriety or who can make a good case but happens to be a porn star. Let's put it into the realm of passions. Okay, so this is going to take more than just, you know, the, the sexual drive. This We're talking passions like, well, you know, the things you're passionate for. Thing, how about this? The things you would argue about. Not that you would ever argue, right? Okay. This is where freedom requires temperate minds. Sometimes we associate this with, you know, uh, temperance, with not drinking, But intemperate minds can't be free. And the way that you sort this out is you figure out the difference between passion and wisdom. I mean, they're always at odds, right? But we need to distinguish between them. Passion, just for the sake of, you know, let's let's get a definition out there. And if you disagree with this, that's fine. Maybe maybe this doesn't add up for you. But passion can be understood as a strong, barely controlled emotion. It's what fuels a lot of activism. It can be recognized by the obsessive fervency with which it calls for gratification. You ever heard of somebody committing a crime of wisdom? No, we talk about crimes of passion. My passion overcame everything. I couldn't think clearly. Wisdom, on the other hand, represents experience and knowledge that remains true. Doesn't matter the time, doesn't matter the place. Wisdom is stuff that that stood the test of time. Unlike popular knowledge, which can become obsolete over time, wisdom is based in things like sound judgment. And again, particularly sound judgment that actually has been proven over time. So while passion can be a positive force when it's properly tempered with wisdom, it's a really bad basis for making important decisions. Ask anybody road raging out there and they'll tell you that's that's passion at work. This is true on the personal level. It's also true on the societal level. One of the places where I see this right now is uh, in what passes for public discourse. Where impassioned, you know, demands are outpacing wisdom in a rush to deal with society's problems. And the problem with this is it sets the stage for serious unintended consequences that may not be immediately apparent. This is why politicians are often, we got to vote on this. No, we don't have time. Time is not a luxury. We have to vote on this before we think about it. Oh, danger, Will Robinson. That's, that's, a, that's, that's someone counting on passion overruling your reason. Let's pass this and find out what's in it. Okay. Passion is what childish, childishly urges us to follow the path of least resistance. In other words, I don't care what lies ahead, what's beyond this moment. I want what I want. And it arrogantly rejects the hard-won wisdom of billions of mature minds 
spanning thousands of years of human history. Makes us more susceptible to an ethically compromised press, to the promises of power-seeking politicians. Passion encourages us to pass judgment on people we've never met and to condemn ideas we don't understand. Now, I got to pause here for a second. Did it sound like I was passing judgment on that uh, adult performer who showed up at Turning Point USA over the weekend? Look, I don't know if she was invited or not. I mean, if she was invited, first of all, <laughs> maybe not the best idea to invite somebody who could be notorious. You know, I mean, you know, think about the notoriety, the, the underlying principles of your organization. But if they did invite her and then disinvited her, okay, that's, that's like two strikes. At the same time, I don't know what this woman's heart is. Frankly, I haven't read any of her writings, at least that I'm aware of. If she's writing for National Review or oh, maybe that's I can't remember if it's I, I'll have to I'll have to double check and see if I can figure out um, it's it's a national publication, though. You know, good looks alone aren't going to aren't going to get you published in something like that. But I don't I'm not judging her as as a person. And maybe she has some very valuable things to contribute to the conservative message, but I have to wonder what kind of doors it opens in terms of, you know, the, the whole, uh, does it legitimize? I know there's, there's a lot of folks, look, I'm, I'm for keeping government out of as many things as possible. I don't want laws, I don't want politics centering around, well, we got to force you to do this because that's what's right. That's actually what's wrong with about 90% of the state right now. But if we're not capable of being wise enough to govern ourselves, we are, we are going to lose the things that really make life worthwhile. We're going to lose our freedoms. We're going to lose our prosperity. It's happening right now. I'm just not trying to be too obvious, you know, point out the window and scream, right? I'm trying to I'm trying to get people to look at it and think about it at maybe a little bit different level, but it starts with you and me. Getting our hearts in order. Now that's not a political statement. I'm not calling you that and, and accepting the one true party, the Republicans. Nope. Nope. I'm suggesting that we have to be Stand up people. You got to know right from wrong. And for some people, you know what? The right thing would be to stretch their arms out and say, come here. Christ went to the sinners. I, I welcome you. You know, and look, basically looking at other people as, as a price to be won as opposed to, well, that's a that's a sinful foe that I have to vanquish. I don't know. It's fun. There's a certain enjoyment of feeling superior to other people that comes with that that second approach. But. You know, I remind myself on a regular basis, there's not a single human being that I have ever looked in the eye who was not a child of God. I think it was uh, C.S. Lewis talked about that in some of his writing. I think we need to treat each other well, but uh, boy, we got to understand what's right and what's wrong. Let your conscience actually be what guides you. And if your conscience needs a little bit of clarity, well, the combined wisdom of humanity actually is a really viable tool, especially in times where things are uncertain or in crisis. I don't know if you've looked at the stock market today, but whoo, pretty crazy stuff. I think about Edmund Burke. There was a state there was a statement he made about how men are qualified for civil liberty in exact proportion 
to their disposition to put moral chains upon their own appetites. In proportion as their love to justice is above their rapacity, in proportion as their soundness and sobriety of understanding is above their vanity and presumption, in proportion as they are more disposed to listen to the counsels of the wise and good in preference to the flattery of knaves. He says it's ordained in the internal constitution of things. Men of intemperate minds cannot be free. Their passions forge their fetters. So this is not a call. Let's uh, let's go out there and make everybody be better. But this is an impassioned plea. Let's you and I get our hearts in order. Because that will bring that change as well. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right. We are back. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on to some different topics in the next couple of segments here. I, I do want to send a shout out to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. These are the folks you want to talk to if you are looking for a home anywhere in Utah. And the reason why is because Heather has the experience to get you the loan you need at the best rate possible. And you may have noticed this, but it's a very, very competitive market right now. You find a home, you're going to have to put in an offer. You're going to have to know that the, that your financing is square. Well, count on Heather's decades of experience. Count on her to get you the loan you need, whether it's a VA loan, a traditional loan, even a reverse mortgage. She can help you get it without delay. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. And Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. See them in St. George at 619 South Bluff Street or call 435-703-4522. I also have a link on the show notes page at thebrianheidshow.com. All right, let's talk about speed traps. My family and I have actually done a pretty fair amount of uh, travel, mainly in the Intermountain West, but uh, we have done a lot of travel in the last couple of months. And I'm happy to report that just about everywhere that I have been has been free of speed traps. Now, if you have done a lot of driving, particularly if you've done a lot of over-the-road driving, you'll know that this can't be said of every locale. In fact, there are some places, looking to the deep south, you know, for look in your direction, where speed traps are just a way of life. And I've seen it happen in other places closer to home, but basically a small town says, you know, we could bring in some revenue if we just, if we put a cop out there and have him pull people over for whatever reasons, and, you know, we find him and we're far away and it's inconvenient for him to come and go to court, you know, I mean, how about this, you know, you show up to court and it's the mayor's court, so your accuser is actually your judge. Gee, I wonder how that's going to work out for you. Well, here's an article from Daryl James. This is on Reason.com. How Louisiana perfected the speed trap. It's okay. I don't think I was planning on traveling through Louisiana anytime soon, but wow. He says, speeding was not an option for Evelyn Bournier when she hosted relatives from France and took them on a road trip through the Deep South in October 2018. The group of seven adults uh, traveled in a Chevrolet Venture with a broken suspension system that turned potholes into craters. It's just an old beat-up van, says Bournier, a language professor who emigrated from France in 1994. We needed transportation, and it was cheaper to buy one and use it for the trip rather than rent something for three weeks. Even with a newer vehicle, 
She would have followed the traffic rules. She says, my dad's a police officer, retired police officer, and I abide by the law. I guess it's in my blood. Now, her guests understood the need to go slow, but they teased Bornier anyway about her cautious driving during the journey from her home in Auburn, Alabama, to Houston and back. She rarely topped 50 miles an hour the whole way. Hitting 60 miles per hour was impossible. So she was surprised when she passed a police car on the side of the Interstate 10 in Henderson, Louisiana, and the emergency lights started flashing. She said, I was thinking maybe I have a broken taillight or something like that. Well, instead, the officer pulled her over and accused her of driving 70 miles per hour in a 60 mile per hour zone. Stunned by the allegation, Bournier handed her keys to the officer and challenged him. You see if you can get it to 70 miles an hour. He declined and told her, if you have a problem with the ticket, you can uh, talk to the judge. Now, she considered doing just that, but then weighed the costs. For starters, she'd have to drive from Auburn to the middle of Louisiana for the hearing. Most likely, she'd have to come more than once, first to plead not guilty, then for a trial on a later date. Now, she also faced higher penalties if she disputed her ticket. That's because Louisiana allows towns and villages to tack on a $50 witness fee when officers testify in court. And costs accumulate if a defendant appeals to the next level. The clerk who talked to Bournier on the phone also told her that her insurance rates would go up if she fought the ticket and lost. But if she paid immediately, the infraction wouldn't even show up on her record. (laughs) Wink, wink. Now, Louisiana's traffic enforcement system punishes individuals in multiple ways when they exercise their constitutional rights. But none of the pressure tactics are unusual. In fact, this article points out small towns all over the U.S. run speed traps and then use rigged local courts to convert citations into revenue. Kind of like a one-two punch that robs people of due process. The resulting fines and fees supplement tax collections and many municipalities grow addicted to those funds. Extra revenue for perks quickly becomes essential for daily operations. A 2020 report which the, uh, from the Institute for Justice calls the practice taxation by citation. This is what occurs when local nations or local governments rather interview issue. Let's try that one more time. Issue tickets to raise revenue rather than to protect the public. See, that's where the rubber meets the road right there. Are they farming revenue? Are they using that police power to farm revenue? That's wrong. Oh, we're out there protecting the public. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, see, apparently the nationwide survey of state laws found there are perverse financial incentives and lack of legislative oversight almost everywhere. But uh, Bornier, when she looked into it, found one key difference in Louisiana. And that difference was if she requested a hearing, her judge would be the mayor. That's the same person who manages the municipal budget. Such an arrangement takes collusion to the next level, cutting out the need for secret meetings and backroom deals, a system that puts the same individual in charge of the executive and judicial branches of government, turns every party of one meeting into a meeting of political insiders. And to make matters worse, some Louisiana mayors also serve as prosecutors while simultaneously sitting on the bench. First, they present evidence to themselves, they rule in favor of themselves, then they send payments to themselves. Outsiders can do little more than watch as me, myself, and I share power and cash. Is that nuts? Louisiana lawmakers, by the way, have no problem with the built-in conflicts. The state takes a hands-off approach, allowing about 250 mayor's courts in small towns and villages to operate outside the normal rules of procedure. 
As the Louisiana Municipal Association acknowledges in its mayor's court handbook, state law provides little guidance for day-to-day functioning of these courts. (laughs) Do not get pulled over in Louisiana. Bornier abandoned all hope of fair treatment when she discovered the scheme, so she cut her losses and paid $192 for a violation that she did not commit. She says a system that lets the judge be the mayor or the mayor be the judge is outrageous. It's unethical and it should be illegal. Now, the article goes on to talk about Police Inc. No other jurisdiction except Ohio allows mayors to preside in their own courtrooms, but the results are sometimes staggering. Fenton, which is a southwest Louisiana village with about 380 residents, has used its mayor's court to pursue taxation by citation as a financial strategy for more than 15 years. Accountants recommended aggressive traffic enforcement as a way to boost revenue in 2005, saying nothing about public safety. Their context was strictly business. Fines and fees more than tripled during the next two years, climbing from $38,000 to $120,000. The revenue more than tripled again to $388,000 by 2011, following the widening of Route 165 from two lanes to five lanes through the center of the village in 2009. Increased traffic counts have since then then, turned law enforcement into the village's number one industry. Fenton planners budgeted for $750,000 in fines and fees in their fiscal year that ended June 30th, 2020. Putting putting a lot of pressure on a police department with just three patrol officers to deliver. I mean, they have to be writing tickets around the clock. Despite a COVID-19 stay-at-home order that reduced traffic during the final months of the reporting period, the village easily surpassed the projection, raking in more than a million dollars in fines and fees for the fifth year in a row. That's more than $3,000 per resident, although local families pay almost nothing because the police chief, who's also the mayor's uncle, (laughs) cue the banjos, focuses on out-of-towners. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. There are apps that you can use like Waze, W-A-Z-E, that uh, will will tell you where the speed traps are. But uh, on the one hand, it's enough to make you think, okay, steer clear of Louisiana if you're going to be traveling or travel by air if possible or airboat as the case may be but i think i would have a really hard time living in a place that uh, that operated like that politicians that see even if it's strangers from out of town they're looking at other people and seeing them as yeah i can fleece him and you know line my own pockets in the process and i can do it all legal and proper like That is disturbing on a number of levels. And there's no guarantee they won't come and, you know, take it out of the residents of the town. Hey, we got a lifestyle to maintain here. You didn't signal for more than a second and a half when you was changing lanes and I got you fair and square. I don't know. This is one of the reasons why I support uh, organizations like uh, Libertas in Utah, the Libertas Institute, because they push for reform as in actual... uh, legislative reform to prevent power from being abused like this. I mean, the other option is you pack up and you move. I don't know what else you could do. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. You know, I feel... I, I feel like I should be paying you like my therapist because I, I, I should be laying on a couch as I'm, I'm describing these things and talking about this. I just feel better for getting this stuff off my chest, though. And and I thank you for coming along for the ride. I encourage you, please check out the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Not because uh, you need to... Uh, and not because you're, you're lacking in information, but if you seriously want to go deeper into some of these subjects, you will find great, helpful links that can take you much further into those subjects than, than I can do in the limited time that I have. Do have uh, one thing I wanted to share with you. Um, we're hearing a lot of talk about, you know, the danger of misinformation. Uh, we've got to regulate. We've got to quash this misinformation. And government right now is finding semi-willing allies. I don't know. Maybe there's a gun in their ribs. You, you're going to help us, right, Facebook? Yeah, they're going to help us get rid of this misinformation. But that seems to be a real buzz phrase right now for those who uh, administer the political systems of this country. They're very afraid. There's alternative ideas out there dangerously killing people. Oh, no, they're, they're actually saying that. But the problem is, when you allow people in power to regulate misinformation, the term will come to mean whatever they want it to. I mean, surely that makes sense, right? Got an article here from Mike Tracy. It's a great take on how the priorities of politicians and often their media enablers are to keep you under their control. He says government officials and their lackeys in the media often speak of the term misinformation as though it has some sort of universally accepted, politically neutral definition. Now, he says that's always been total BS, but generating the mirage of of neutrality has been a necessary ingredient ingredient rather in popularizing the misinformation concept over the past five years. Those who reject the impositions of mainstream cultural and political elites must not be simply wrong, but maliciously brainwashed by misinformation. The complicit entities such as the social media platforms allow to, to proliferate. Sounds about right. In 2018, when these entities engineered a simultaneous cross-platform purge of Alex Jones, there was an avalanche of media apologia for this hitherto unprecedented act of censorship. Now, Jones had caused unique harm, the journalists cried. The platforms, those platforms were just enforcing the rules. But of course, what they were oblivious to was that the rules, such as they exist, are just a function of power. Misinformation and other alleged infractions of social media rules are determined at the whim of whoever happens to wield censorship and speech regulation power at that moment. Journalists themselves chronically oblivious to their own power, were exactly the ones who agitated for the expulsion of Jones, and their agitation succeeded. You know, the funny thing is, they don't think it would ever happen to them. I can't remember who it was who came up with the term useful idiots. Was it, was it Lenin? Was it Stalin? There is a sad day when useful idiots discover that they've been useful, but their usefulness has come and gone, and they're fed into the machine just the same as everybody else. Now, going back to the article here, Michael Tracy had previously written an article about the cross-platform purge of Alex Jones back in 2018. And he said, Alex Jones' lunacy is self-evident and needs no further comment. 
The only relevant question is whether we want a media landscape in which a tiny cadre of unelected private officials are empowered to decide in secret and with no mechanisms for accountability that the time has come to purge this lunatic from the public square. Now, just around three years later, he says, we receive a declaration from a spokesman or a spokesperson rather for the president that the federal government is seeking to coerce, mandate or otherwise bring about routinized cross flat platform purges. Press Secretary Jen Psaki said you shouldn't be banned from one platform and not others for providing misinformation out there. She creepily called on the social media giants to create robust enforcement strategies that bridge their properties. So if you're under any illusion back in 2018 that this would ever stop with Alex Jones, a figure believed to be sufficiently repulsive that any punishment doled out to him would not have broader implications for the average Internet user. Well, it didn't take long for proof of just how wrong you were. Journalists and others with influential platforms, particularly those who spend all day, every day on the Internet and rely on it for their livelihood, at least in theory, have a duty to demonstrate some semblance of foresight. Meaning, to consider issues of public interest that go beyond their short-term desire for political vengeance. But he says they consistently fail in this task or never even bother aspiring toward it in the first place. Because one thing this post-2016 era has shown is that they're primarily concerned with their own exercise of power. And if their peers at the social media companies serve them as a reliable power conduit, well, that's just dandy. Now, he says, please don't even try to argue that Saki's dictum is somehow going to be limited to misinformation surrounding vaccines. And he says that's fine because of the unique danger of vaccine-related misinformation in light of the Delta variant, blah, blah, blah. He says there's always going to be a situation deemed sufficiently dangerous by those in power to rationalize encroachments on free expression. Always some emergency. Islamic terrorism, white nationalist terrorism, a communicable disease, severe weather events, racist Academy Awards, whatever. It'll never end. Because those in power are extremely adept at finding rationalizations for the power they seek to exercise. Now, Michael Tracy says, look, for what it's worth, he says, I personally got the vaccine and I would generally recommend that others do so. But he says, I flatly reject the logical leap to social media companies must therefore systematically purge users from the Internet at the direct behest of the federal government. I think that's pretty clear. He says nothing about Saki's command to these social media giants should be the least bit surprising if you've been remotely sentient over the last five years. And if you have priorities beyond the instant gratification of political retribution. But he says there's no mystery about the media's priorities anymore. So let's bring this home. Why, Why should this matter to people like you and me? I mean, assuming that you're not already a major league influencer at some level, why would this matter? I think off the top of my head, it comes down to, look, we can understand the world only to the extent that we have access to good quality information. 
And when we see people um, in whether it's in political institutions or in media institutions setting themselves up as we are the one true source for information. That's not being done to protect you. That's not to, you know, shelter you from dangerous information. That's it's what it's just it's a kinder, gentler version of what North Korea has been doing to its citizens for years. And it starts out as we're just protecting you from those evil imperialists and their lies. They want to ruin your life. But to see where it where it goes, to see where that that need for control can take people. Look at their country. You ever seen a satellite map of North Korea at night? You can sure tell where that border is, where the demilitarized zone is between it and South Korea. It's a dark place. You're not supposed to listen to anything or read anything from foreign media. You're not even allowed to consider other ideas. Well, Brian, this isn't North Korea. Come on, we have a totally different culture, blah, blah, blah. It's the direction that we're headed. And the direction doesn't have to say, you know, hey, it's North Korea. I can see very well the common direction that every person who ever made it to full-blown totalitarianism had to go. That's the direction we're moving. Slowly, almost imperceptibly to most people, but, but we're moving that direction. And when it comes down to controlling what people are allowed to consider, my friend, we got to draw a line. Look, I'm talking about it. Yes, yes, here I am on this microphone talking about it right now. Surely this is solving it. In a small way, it's providing an alternative viewpoint for the very, very few people who actually know about this. By the way, shout out to my friend Carl. It's been a while, Carl, but thought I'd say hi. We need independent truth seekers and truth speakers. Now's the time to speak up. Because you're going to see people, the more prominent they are, the more impact they're having, the more you're going to see efforts to silence them. Maybe not throw them in prison. Okay, we're not quite to the gulag stage yet. But certainly to uh, virtually gag them. We need more voices that will speak up and be that source of light. Till there's just too many of us to gag. This is The Brian Hyde Show.